The Bittern in the Norfolk Broads by Emma L. Turner from British Birds, Volume 13, Number 1, June 2, 1919. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In spite of its furtive and semi-nocturnal habits, the bittern, Botaris stellaris, is not a bird whose presence can be concealed from the general public. If the bittern is to maintain in peacetime the steady increase in numbers which it has attained during the war, public opinion must be enlisted on its side. Somewhere, Ruskin wrote, God has given us the earth for our life. It is a great entail. It will now be the duty of every ornithologist, and especially of every member of the BOU, to guard this recovered inheritance which our forefathers wasted so shockingly. I know that it is the orthodox thing to say that the bittern and other lost breeding species died out owing to the reclamation of the fens. Those who finally assisted in the destruction of our rarer breeding marsh birds started this theory in order to cover up their own sins, and we have gone on deluding ourselves into this belief. It is not true. The bittern was driven out by drainage from some fens such as Whittlesea, but there are, and always have been, vast tracts where the bittern would breed if unmolested. During the war, the bittern has steadily increased in numbers, and the deep, resonant challenge of bittern calling to bittern across the great wide silence of the misty marshes, or heralding the gorgeous pageant of a broadland dawn, is now a familiar sound in some areas. Nevertheless, in Norfolk alone, Mr. Revere has collected evidence of 15 bitterns having been shot between midsummer 1917 and midsummer 1918. On the whole, the war has been a godsend to the birds of Great Britain because it has kept the majority of gunners and collectors busy elsewhere. It remains to be seen whether the numbers of breeding bitterns will increase during the next few years, whether they will decrease or merely remain stationary. The first bittern's nest was located in July 1911 by James Vincent and myself. See British Birds, Volume 5, pages 90 through 97. There is good evidence to prove that one or two pairs have nested there regularly ever since. In addition to these, in 1917, a nest with two half-fledged young was found in another locality. In 1918, I knew of seven nests within an area of four square miles, making nine in all for that year. Two more pairs are said to have nested on some marshes several miles from the original breeding site. The following is a list of dates for some of the 1918-1919 nests. 1918. First pair, March 24th. Four eggs, two hatched by April 1st. Young drowned out April 16th. April 28th, second clutch of two eggs. Nest and eggs destroyed, cause unknown, May 16th. Second pair. Nest found April 3rd, four eggs, two only hatched. Third pair, nest found May 19th, five eggs, three hatched by May 27th. Fourth pair, nest found June 20th, two nearly fledged young. 1919, first nest April 8th, one egg. April 17th, five eggs. First young hatched. May 3rd, last young out May 8th, all five hatched. Second nest, Found April 17th, five eggs, one young out on 18th, and one chipping. All out when nest was next visited on April 26th. Third nest. Found April 17th, five eggs, all out by May 11th. 
The bittern is more or less gregarious, or at any rate sociable, in its habits. Two pairs were found nesting in close proximity last year, and two more pairs within a square mile. They do not require a big breeding area in order to supply the young with food. Such food as bitterns require is always plentiful in the fen country. The young are fed largely on fish. Eels seem to be swallowed whole or in halves according to the size of the eel and the capacity of the bird. One half-grown bittern I picked up in the reeds promptly disgorged one eel nine inches long and seven inches of another eel. The youngest of a brood of three on another occasion regurgitated a nice little fillet of fish which had been beautifully prepared for him. The gullet of the young bittern on these occasions swells out to the size of a fowl's egg. One realizes that the capacity for storing away food in the adult bird must be considerable. A man at Sutton told me recently that he picked up three young frogs from one nest, each nipped on one side and flattened out on that side. The bittern does not always nest amidst the densest cover, nor in the most inaccessible reed beds. One nest I saw in 1918 was certainly in deep water, but only a few feet from a dry rand. Note. Rond or rand, the swampy margin of a river or broad, usually applied to the boggy ground between the water and the river wall. End of note. On May 6, 1919, I photographed a nest with six eggs. A normal clutch of bittern's eggs consists of four or five. The nest was placed in quite an unusual situation. Hitherto, all that I have seen were in more or less dense reed beds. This one was in thin sedge, not more than 18 or 20 inches high, and so sparse that I was able to photograph the nest and eggs through the surrounding vegetation. This nest was found accidentally on April 26 by a man who did not know at the time what kind of nest it was. It then contained two eggs. On May 4th, there were six eggs, and the bittern was flushed from the nest. There is a considerable difference between the young bitterns when hatched, but as they all hatch within three or four days, it seems as if the old bird begins to incubate as soon as the first egg is laid, and that the eggs are not laid on alternate days, as I have stated in a previous paper. Note, Transactions of the Norfolk and Norwich Naturalist Society, 1918. End of note. The bittern does not always trouble about the later eggs. In 1918, there were several left derelict in the various nests I saw. These, when broken, contained perfectly formed young. Frequently, also, the youngest bittern, being so much smaller and weaker than his brethren, comes to grief. The young are very strong and active when two or three days old and also very pugnacious. From the fact that the female does not always bring off the entire clutch, and also because the male booms most of the day some distance from the nest, I doubt very much whether the males take any share in feeding the young. Both this season and last, the males, as soon as the young were a few days old, went away from the nesting area and frequented reed beds much farther off. This season there seems to be a scarcity of male bitterns. It is possible when this is the case that the bittern may be polygamous, but so far the evidence is not absolutely conclusive. In one reed bed, three nests have successfully hatched off, while only one male has boomed there, and only one has so far been flushed. But last year it took me some time to discover two males in the same reed bed where two females had nested. Bitterns seldom boom together. They challenge each other, and one after another responds until all the males whose localities I can vouch for have boomed in turn, and then the first strikes up again. Therefore, if there were several males in one small area booming in turn, it would not always be possible to differentiate between them. 
during the period prior to incubation the female sometimes utters a soft booming sound when her mate is near it is not a deep resonant boom like that of the male but a subdued wumpf wumpf akin to the contented grunt of a female water rail when the male approaches owing to their extreme furtiveness bitterns are perhaps more difficult to watch than any other birds it needs weeks of continuous observation sometimes to elucidate one single point in their life history when feeding young the bittern ceases to be shy and furtive it is then seen regularly on the wing all day long and pursues its regular line of flight to and from its chosen feeding ground regardless of noisy yachting parties or busy marshmen up to the time of hatching and after the young are fledged i have never seen bitterns on the wing during the daytime they may of course be flushed but when this occurs they merely drop into cover as soon as possible when family cares absorb its life the bittern seems quite suddenly to throw aside its habitual reserve and to become not only bold but also extremely garrulous when the female rises from the nest she utters the hoarse croaking call note ark ark and continues calling until she alights on the feeding ground she takes from forty to sixty minutes to collect food she then makes a beeline for home calling loudly all the time when passing overhead you can see her gullet distended with food if surprised near the nest or if any way really alarmed she swallows the food and immediately goes off to collect a fresh supply she does not alight close to the nest but perhaps fifty or sixty feet away and then walks to the nest individual bitterns vary temperamentally one may be absolutely fearless and fly to and fro at a fair height and be visible from any point of vantage another will merely skim over the reed beds and thus frequently escape observation unless your eyes are glued to the marshes the soft coloring of the bittern harmonizes completely with the top of the reed beds in early summer the dead feathery flower of last year's reeds arundo pragmitis form a gray gold belt a few inches above the new season's growth which does not attain its full height till mid-june in certain lights therefore a bittern may easily escape detection when it is just floating over the top of the reed beds bitterns resort to the same feeding grounds for several days in succession provided there is no alteration in the level of the water they love a partially silted up dike where the water is only a few inches deep and where there are sheltering reeds they also resort to the many little lagoons hidden among the reed beds in calm weather the feeding ground is usually some distance from the nest during gales and rough weather bitterns are seldom in evidence and probably they then resort to some place nearer home one week in june during which the water rose five or six inches one of the bitterns i had under observation regularly visited a shallow marsh more than a mile away from her nest this feeding ground really belonged to another bittern and both frequented it together the nestling bittern is the quaintest little bird imaginable when two days old he is about four inches high and his clothing consists of a filmy garment of golden brown down his head seems to consist of two large blue eyes surmounted by a burnished halo of down the down is almost an inch long it is very fine in texture and blows all over his face in a high wind it does not form a complete covering but follows the lines of the feather tracks neither does it conceal the wonderful blue of his skin in a very few days the quills begin to sprout but the down still surrounds him like a mist the long thick ungainly legs supporting a curiously attenuated body are redeemed from ugliness by their brilliant coloring his feet seem several sizes too large for him after a week or so the color of the down changes to a marabou brown and the iris takes on a greenish tinge the legs bill and all the bare patches of skin are a uniform blue-green 
In certain lights, this coloring is iridescent. The tiny bittern is thus completely camouflaged. These soft browns and blue-greens harmonize completely with the dull sheaths of the reeds and with the young green reeds themselves, for the body coloring is like sunlight filtered through green reeds. The nestlings soon learn to take cover in the reed beds at the slightest approach of danger. They walk off the nest and away from the intruder, who meanwhile is fighting his way slowly through the thick tangled reeds, which may be ankle or even knee-deep in water. There are generally one or two secondary nests near the original nursery, and as time goes on, the young bitterns make little matted platforms upon which they stand. But they return to the nest to be fed until nearly full-grown. They make a loud, raucous sound when hungry, something between a quack and a grunt, or a blending of both. When fledged, they resort to open marshy spaces in the reed beds, and there await their parents. The males begin to boom near their nesting areas early in January, and continue booming until the end of June. One very curious fact I noticed was that about June 17th, the bittern's voice begins to break. The break may only occur two or three times a day, and the bittern may still boom lustily for another week, but it is the beginning of the end, and gradually the birds lapse into silence. End of The Bittern in the Norfolk Broads by Emma L. Turner Read by Colleen McMahon